And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. Entrepreneurs come in all shapes and forms. We work in all different kinds of industries. Those of you that know me know that myself and my business partner, Matt Watson, are in the software as a service business or perhaps providing services to those kinds of companies. Now, the software as a service or SaaS industry as it's known, well, it's big. And it's been big for a while. It's where all, not all of, but a lion's share of venture capital flows into. There's a whole lot of people interested in doing it. There's very few that do it well. And we are going to talk about how to boldly lead your business-to-business SaaS company into a brave new world. So in order to do that, we did get a little help from the company I own, Fullscale, as today's sponsor this episode of Startup Hustle, we help you build software team quickly and affordably. Now, Fullscale isn't the only one that's going to give us an assist today. With me today, I've got Jeff Weiner, and Jeff is the CEO of Real Quantum. From here in my hometown of Kansas City, Jeff, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come and chat with you today. Love the podcast. <clears throat> That you do. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we, we love it too. So I guess we'll keep doing it. And, and that's probably a, a good approach for us. Now, uh, you know, no one really, no one can tell the story of a business better than the CEOs, the founders. So why don't we just go ahead and start there? Give us a little backstory about yourself, Real Quantum, and uh, what, what, what brought you here? Absolutely. You know, so I've been in the software tech space for my whole career. And I spent a long time working for big companies. I was at AT&T, worked um, in the D.C. metro area for several years, and then uh, relocated out to Kansas City. Didn't think we would stay here as a family, We think because we don't have any family here, right? We get here, think, all right, we'll reload back, next promotion kind of thing. We've loved it. So we've been here quite a while, and it's a great community to raise a family. It was a great community to start a company. So did a, the big company thing for a while and then moved to a really small tech firm um, here in town and and then really got the opportunity to make that transition. And we did a couple of things. We were doing services, custom software development mostly, transitioned to product because we decided we wanted to um, build a product around the IP that we had been developing for quite a while and then basically giving away as part of our services to um, mostly enterprise, right? So it was all B2B, uh, mostly enterprise, custom dev, system integration type work. Did that for a while. And then um, one of the great things that I've had um, as a, that I've been very grateful for is that developed this great network of individuals. And so one of those people introduced me to um, 
a small group of individuals that are getting ready to start a company. And that was Real Quantum. And I had had some experience with some of the folks and were new to some of the others and decided to make that switch. We did a successful exit for that last company. It was called Mersoft Networks. And that was sold off to one of the private equity firms here in Kansas City. And then I got to turn my my full attention to Roquantum. And basically what it is, is, is that, so it's like you said, software as a service company, B2B focus, specifically in commercial real estate, which is, and I'd love to talk about how this, um, a little bit more about that is that CRE tech, commercial real estate tech or prop tech is this is exploding right now. Tremendous amount of VC money. There's all these uh, special purpose acquisition companies, SPACs that are showing up. Big money is moving into the space. So it's very, very cool place to be right now. But um, really what uh, our founding team was back in the beginning, it's about five years ago, is that um, commercial real estate has been poorly served by tech. Half of that original group of people were experienced commercial real estate appraisers. The other half were like me coming from the tech world. And um, we really decided that it was time to create a new product specifically in the valuation part of the space, which is this kind of um, invisible grease in, in the gears that makes the commercial real estate economy operate. And so it doesn't get much attention. You know, commercial real estate brokers, developers, they're the ones you see in the business journal, things like that, right? The appraisal space doesn't get that much attention. But um, we saw a real need because it was so poorly served by tech, very manual process. And um, the commercial real estate appraisers that I was working with, they had done one of these before. And it was about 15 years prior. They had, um, they, it had run its course. It was cool for the time. So I also had the benefit of working with a, a group of people that were experienced. And this was not their first startup. And so we, uh, we operated in stealth mode for two years in 2016 and 17. Then we launched in the beginning of 2018. So we've been selling since then. And that takes us up to today. Okay. So, you know, the, we mentioned B2B as mm -hmm. the, the, the column that will exist in for today's conversation. And when it comes to SaaS platforms, and, you know, I, I always like to, to throw in some simplicity for those that are listening, because I know not everyone listening to, is a tech entrepreneur, but there's lessons from everyone's story that apply to all industries. So B2B is business to business, B2C is business to consumer, and they are viewed quite differently when it comes to the approach that you take as to, to grow and build the company, as well as the desirability when it comes to investment, meaning investors, well, they don't like B2C as much as they like B2B. Um, and, you know, while there are plenty of B2C SaaS platforms out there, um, some of that is driven by the fact that businesses, well, there's a necessity uh, mm -hmm. often, and then they have the well, it's, it's hard to get $8 a month out of a consumer sometimes, and it's not as difficult to get $400 a month out of a business. So, right. you know, some of that, and, and also, you know, we talk about SaaS, S-A-A-S, and that's defined software as a service, is a software distribution model in which a third-party provider 
hosts applications and makes them available to customers or clients over the internet. The customers of SaaS are most likely businesses or the end users of apps. So as Jeff has mentioned, his business provides solutions in the commercial real estate space, and that would make your clients and users commercial real estate agents or banks. So our customer base are actually the, the, um, the biggest single group are commercial real estate appraisers. So okay. for anybody that's bought or sold a house, you know, the appraiser comes, takes pictures, measures, and then compares your house to three or four other houses in the neighborhood. You get a price and you use that price when you're selling, when you're trying to get a mortgage, whatever. Right. On the commercial side, you know, or, or I should say on the residential side, it's single family home, town home condo. That's it. Yeah. yeah. On the commercial side, it's strip mall, grocery store, movie theater, um, oil refinery, <laughs> you know, office and building, office yeah, building, and, everything and, in between. remarkably variable in, in what right. they can be worth and how. Right. right. And so, and of yeah. course the big difference between the other big difference between the two, in addition to the diversity is the fact that of course, a commercial building is a, is a business as opposed to a place you live. And so all those complexities um, are, are one of the major reasons why innovation is lagged in the space. But those are our primary ones. These commercial real estate appraisers, they're set up kind of like accountants, lawyers, lots of sole proprietors, and this kind of big cluster in the middle of um, there's lots of small, you know, five to 10 person organizations, a, a smaller handful, a, a smaller group of maybe 10 to 50 people. And then there's a group of them that are national and global that operate um, as well. And many of them are, are very common. You see their billboards up because they do everything. They do development, property management, appraisal, et cetera. And so that's how, that's our main customer base, but then also lenders, right? Cause they need to know how much their, how much properties are worth. Um, tax assessors, things like that. So when it when it comes to leadership and growing and building your mm -hmm. your SaaS company, regardless of who you're serving, whether it's B two B or B two C, I mean, the, one of the things that you were alluding to there is you know you have to solve a problem, you have right. to create some kind of a and by the way, lack of efficiency is a problem. So that's mm -hmm. often what software as a service is doing. And I think as a, as a leader of uh, any type of SaaS company, clearly defining what the problem you're solving and making sure that your team and and look, this that sounds like super simplistic, but I I see a lot of people that or talk to a lot of people, and I and I ask him after I talk, I say, have you really clearly defined what you're trying to do for you, like everyone from the from the from yourself all the way down to the QA tester. You know, and, and I'm a little surprised sometimes that it seems like they're 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 giving they're giving directions to the team, but not necessarily helping them understand the why of the problem they're solving. Like what are you what what you're doing matters to the to these kind of people for these reasons. And I and I feel that once you begin to define that, you have now begun to potentially lead your your SaaS company to a brighter, better future. Ha, ha, is that the right place to start? Oh my gosh. There's so many places we could go. <laughs> what you touched and, and on. I'm aware, and I'm aware, I'm aware of that as well. We might go to several of them, but I okay. had to start somewhere. And I, I think right. that the clarity of the mission and what you're doing, you know, I, I employ almost 200 developers and I just know 
from having been in the space for a decade that if the people that build your product don't truly understand why it's valuable mm -hmm. and what problem it solves, then it's probably going to suck just to be honest. Right. Cause they're not going to make all those thousands mm -hmm. of decisions that need to be made by autonomous individuals to be able to make the decisions that point you in the right direction. So yeah. absolutely, yeah. you know, and that's, that's a really good way of doing it. There's so many things in, in making something like this successful, but you're absolutely right. So the first thing is you got to be able to have a business model, um, and a product market fit that makes sense. And then once you know where you're pointing, then you can get everybody rowing in the same direction. Uh, the challenge comes in though, and, and Matt, doing so much business with startups, you probably see this a lot, right? Is that um, we all want to get to the point where we figured out a product market fit. We figured out, all right, we're going in this direction, just hit the gas. But figuring out which direction you're going in takes a tremendous amount of discipline and, and science to get there. And so one of the things that I found that's really important, uh, because we're, we're still early stage, right? We're, we're, we're building our momentum. We've got some great things happening, but we're, we're pretty early. And that is, is to also make sure that um, you've got individuals on your team who know that where we're going at this moment, maybe we're finding out where we're going. Sure. Right. So, um, it, it, like, for example, there's the, the, the book that's pretty famous called crossing the chasm and the author's name is escaping me for the moment. But, um, the idea is, is that you capture a few early adopters and that's really good getting those early adopters. They're, they're, um, very flexible. They are willing to put up with, um, either missing features or glitches or something like that. But the, but the way that you get from there to the mass is you have to cross this chasm and you have to survive long enough to get there. Figuring out how to cross the chasm from your early adopters to your mass market requires a lot of experimentation. And for like, for example, the developers where most of our money goes here at Real Quantum, our software engineers, is knowing that the current path is we believe these next set of features are going to help us capture this new group of customers. Do I know exactly, and I've had this conversation with other startups too, do we know exactly that, you know, X hours makes this number of features, makes this number of dollars of revenue? No, we don't. But no, we no, do. one, no one does. <laughs> right. No one does. Right. They say, they, they, <laughs> people say you should know that and then nobody knows. Right. Kind of like nobody, right. it's kind of like nobody really knows how to spell entrepreneur without looking. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Thanks for spell check. Right. So um, that that's really important. So as is you got to because I agree, you, a leader and this goes back uh, to the beginning of time, right? You set a direction, you boldly set that direction, you support your your team members, you bring new team members into the team that can help you fulfill that vision, you go. It's just that sometimes early on or always early on. You're going to, part of that vision is to figure out exactly where you're going. You got to make sure you have the right people that can help you get there that way. Okay. So, and that's, and I think that that still falls into that clarity of vision and mission. Now you said there's, <clears throat> there's one thing. And, and for those listening that want to lead is, and I see this mistake a lot. And now I'm a salesperson and a, and a promoter uh, at heart, according to most uh uh, personality inventories that I've taken. But, you know, whenever I hear the word feature, I, I demand that we also discuss advantages and benefits 
And I think that that's where a lot of early stage companies fall short when it comes to leadership is, you know, people don't buy features, they buy benefits. And if you're going to build a feature, mm -hmm. then as you mentioned, it needs to do a couple things. It needs to either retain users or bring in new ones. And I think that oftentimes when it comes to leading a SaaS company, uh, I, I, I hear a lot of people talk about features and it sounds like it's like basically shit that they want to put in there that doesn't, like you mentioned, it doesn't have a lot of science behind it. It's not like, is this going to help us keep people in? Is it going to help us sign people up? Is it going to help us generate revenue? And if the answer is no, then that's not something you should probably be focusing your time on. Right. Because in the end, you have your features have to provide some kind of advantage and really in the end, benefit. And it, and it took me a while as an adult sales professional to really, truly understand that. You know, you know, I always tell this story about going to buy a camera at Best Buy and I'm talking to the high school kid that's working there and he's just going down this list of, of things that are features and, you know, like A, B, C, D. And I, and, and I just looked at him when he was, I let him spit it all out and I said, will this take really professional looking pictures of my kids on Christmas? And he goes, yes. I said, all right, I'll take it. <laughs> that was the benefit. That was all right. that, that was all that I cared about at that moment. I already knew it was in my price range or I wouldn't ask about it, but all of the things that he mentioned, I didn't care about a dual sided mirrorless, blah, blah, blah. I cared about the output of what it did. So I think when it comes to the leadership of your team, your product and your sales, that clearly defining the benefits and like as the founder of Gigabook, I remember I was so excited to create all of this efficiency and I thought people would love it. And then I quickly realized that they really just liked peace of mind. <laughs> like that was the reason that people bought and subscribed to the product because they liked the peace of mind of knowing that while they were providing, if they were a solopreneur, while they were, while, while they were providing services, let's just say that like, right. you're a massage therapist, you, okay. If your massage therapist answers calls and replies to emails to take appointments in the middle of your session, you're not going back. But think about that. If you're booked up all day, you don't want to, you're like, oh my God, how much business do I have to hire an assistant? But, and so that peace of mind, well, without peace of mind, nothing else has much flavor. So, you know, sometimes the, the not so obvious, like, cause you could say, okay, well, the, the advantage of online booking is you can get more sales. You can collect payments. You can send reminders. Yeah. Okay. That's great. That's great. But what's the real benefit of it? You're not going to go crazy. Right. You're, you're not, not going to go crazy. You don't have you're to not answer work. 10 million calls. Right. Yeah. You're not going to yeah, worry so, that there's so, business yeah. loss because you're, you're missing sure. a phone call. Sure. Yeah. And then I, I would, I would think that in the case of real quantum and, and I'm not going to pretend to know a ton about this, but I know from just talking to different people and uh, relationships I've had with folks in the commercial real estate, both on the tech side and the, and the buildings themselves is there seems to be a remarkable amount of inefficiency with paperwork and just like all kinds of stuff. Oh so what's the main, what's the, what's the, the bright shining star of benefit that real quantum gets. So you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So we did some research early on in the process and we found out 82% of people that have some kind of valuation for commercial real estate in their job description are basically paper-based. You know, the modern version of paper and pencil is Excel and Word. 
And that yeah. wasn't just small operations. And you know, you assume that like the biggest banks and everything have all the stuff that they've custom built. Those giant banks, and I talked to a couple of them, and what they say is is that um, they run a lot of the decision making for commercial real estate uh, through Excel. They, um, in fact, they one one bank executive mm-hmm. tell me that they hire these hotshot um, quantitative analysis types from Ivy League schools, and they've got a turnover problem because they come in thinking they're going to be working for this this worldwide banking organization, and they spend twelve hours a day typing stuff into spreadsheets, and then fixing their formulas and things because it's all spreadsheets, right? And then they quit and they do something else. They go, you know. I don't know, do investment banking or something. So it's a huge problem. And so the first core thing that we do that's discreet is that we save them time, really do. And we say that in terms of we can get our customers to be 50% more productive. So when I think about what you said, Matt, and talk about peace of mind, I think when you're a B2B company, when you're any kind of company, but B2B is my expertise, is that um, you that peace of mind, that that one thing is different often with the different types of customers you sell to. So one example that we have mm-hmm. is we sell commercial real estate fee appraisers, people that um, banks hire and spend a couple thousand bucks a pop to get a real estate appraisal. And then there's tax assessors who are on the other side who collect taxes, right? The most important thing for a commercial real estate appraiser is um, all of my data is all in the same place. And because of that, I save all of this time. My peace of mind is, is that I'm not going back constantly and redoing the same stuff or introducing errors and wasting my time. And that's a big deal. The um, For a tax assessor, in their case, they're all totally concerned with... Um, making sure that when some commercial property owner comes in for a tax appeal, that they're always applying um, a fair and equitable treatment of taxation policy to everybody. They're not worried about making more money because they're all salaried employees of the government, right? They're not there to make money. They're there to make sure everything is working well, fair and equitable treatment. So to them, their ability to collect all the data in one place and be able to not make mistakes or not spend time fixing mistakes. Their peace of mind is, is that they can ensure that they've done a quality, thorough job to apply fair and equitable treatment of taxation to all commercial property owners. Okay. So <clears throat> we've talked about the clarity. We've talked about defining the benefits of your product. Now, look, those, those things right there, those are great. That's great for your team. It's great for your product team. It's uh, now here's the thing. If you don't ever sell anything, you're not boldly leading anything. You are a company that does something that has yet to really be validated. Sales cures ales. Um, And the further you get down the road, uh, the more you got to build them or you will begin to lose belief from investors, employees, and well, invariably, you're going to run out of money. So there's right. that part. Um, so when it comes to, to leading a, a B2B SaaS company, I mean, personally, I, I, it's never too early to start marketing, 
selling and finding users. And I'll tell you what, if maybe the biggest mistake of all that I see any SaaS company make is waiting too long to figure that out. Um, the people I know that I've talked to on and off the show that are really successful, they started that whole process really early. They were beginning to experiment, create content, work on what their customer acquisition costs were, really refining a lot of that stuff, uh, because that begins to define the company's mission in many ways. Because, you know, like, and, and by the way, I hate this this celeb this culture of celebration around how much money a company has raised. I don't give a shit how much money you've raised. <laughs> Let's talk about how much your revenue you're generating. Right. Like, right. I mean, honestly, if I and and earmuffs, if you don't want to hear me say the f word, but if I see another fucking list that talks about like, hey, here's all the people that raised a bunch of money, like, oh, great, that's great. But who's making money? Who's creating revenue? Because that's the sticky product that creates jobs, that builds companies, that creates generational wealth for founders and investors. Right. So when it comes to sales, I want to talk about that for a minute. So what do you guys, what have you guys done at Real Quantum to, and how are you leading your sales and everything towards mega revenue? You know, so that's, so I was listening to your sales podcast that you did recently. Um, and where you said sales cures ales. Um, and I was thinking, I was, I was especially interested in it because, you know, what you were saying was, is when it comes to full scale, right? You don't, you try to have a certain type of customer. You're not going to get lots mm -hmm. of little customers. You want to have, I think you said 13,000 a month average. Well, that's what we do average right now, right. but yeah, but, uh, but only certain types of clients or customers are able to sustain that for more than a very short period of time. Right. Right. So we did, we did like you're suggesting, we started out even before we had the product, we were developing content and, um, and a marketing strategy. And that's where I got my start when I first joined the team. And that was critical. First of all, we were educating when you have an 82% manual product market, it, it doesn't mean we didn't have any other competitors. Clearly our biggest competitor was Microsoft Excel. Sure. Um, there's a big chunk of education that has to occur to, to inform your marketplace about this new, better way of, of seeing the world. And at the same time, it was critical because we had to experiment, right? We were trying out messaging. We were trying out seeing what works seeing what's how to talk to individual customer segments. Um, we were, we would talk to anybody we could to give us advice about product features to really identify what resonated the most with them. And that was absolutely crucial as we were in that first two years of stealth mode. And then we just started to sell in the early part of 2018, because um, even then we started out with our MVP. And one of the reasons why you have to do an MVP is you make sure you don't build anything you don't need to, because people can talk all day long about what they think they might like. But until you actually actually ask for their credit card number or purchase yep. order, then you find out what they really like. So you do all that marketing up front to try and uh, educate the customer and then learn. But then when it comes time to actually start to sell the product, you have to sell very iteratively too to see what resonates so that you can build that momentum over time. 
I created a term for this and I don't know which episode you were listening to, but I, I have built the word democation and that's demonstration and education. And mm-hmm. if your content and your message manages to accomplish both of those at the same time, well, not only is it really palatable because there's a lot of people that want to see what your product does. So you can demonstrate that, but at the same time, so, and this is what kills me because, you know, you go to someone's website or something, they're like, watch our product demo. You open it up and it's like a 24 minute YouTube video of of someone's computer screen. Right. And And look, if you move the cursor over here and you click this button that says file, then it'll open a dropdown. And you're like, my God, no one's ever going to watch this. Now, at the same time, you could say, you could say, look, I could show you a whole lot of stuff that's really mundane. Let's skip past that. Let's Here's the meat and potatoes of what we sell. And this is why it's good for you. And you can be dropping the benefits along the way, you know, and, and you're demonstrating and educating. Do not, uh, do not assume just because someone that, that don't assume that your users know anything about the industry that they actually work in. Oh, when it well, comes that's to, like the benefits true. that you provide. Like right. it's, I mean, it's shocking. Like, you know, so what you said so, before, Matt, you were talking yeah. about sell the, sell the benefits and not the features. That 27 yep. minute or whatever video is all about the features, not the benefits. Yeah. Right. That's so critical. Yeah. So, all right. A little bit of a tangent. You could have, you could have a, you could have a 60 second video that just oh, literally, yeah. uh, you could have a 30 second video that said, this is the benefits of what it does. And like I said, it's like, you got to think out of the, out of the, the, the normal stuff too. Cause like you talk about the messaging and why it matters. Well, with Gigabook, like we, we were selling peace of mind, Gigabook, peace of mind at your business. And, and here's the thing is you put that in an ad or a promo or something. Okay. People want to click that. Like you don't win, you don't sign the, the customer within the advertising image. You need to get them to go somewhere to take some kind of action and do right. something. So you talk about messaging and anybody that owns a business has, well, pretty, I just, I make this, I don't like making assumptions, but I make the assumption that all business owners at some point are tormented by what they've created with their business because all businesses have problems. So you talk about peace of mind at your business that gets my attention. So, right. you know, and now you can democate and say, look, this is what it does and this and this and this and that. And, and uh, by the way, during democation, you can also begin to filter out some of the, the clients, customers, and users, not all good leads are, not all leads are good people. Right. Like people, oh, I want to, I boost my lead volume by 800%. I'm like, okay, right. what did you boost your closing ratio by? Yeah. Yeah. Cause if it didn't go up proportionally, you're probably costing yourself more because you're wasting your time chasing opportunities. It's kind of like you talked about with the MVP, like the purpose of that is to get it out there and let people tell you what they're going to actually pay for. Not like, oh, well, I'd love it if I had this magical unicorn that came by and brought us cupcakes every day at lunch. Cool. How much would you pay for that? Well, probably nothing. Okay. Well, then we shouldn't try to build that. Yeah. I could use a cupcake unicorn. I could. We all could. (laughs) You know, honestly, Jeff, and before I forget... And before I tell you the real story of the Cupcake Unicorn, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. So you really got to give the listener something to really hang on to after the ad read, like a Cupcake Unicorn, but everyone's going to be disappointed. because. So can I hire a Cupcake Unicorn from Fullscale? No. What? No. 
no, no, unfortunately. But how about a bourbon yeah, unicorn? The, that would be really nice. That that's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you can actually get a like a Saint Bernard or something with a barrel mm-hmm. around its neck. I don't know what those dogs have in the barrel. I know it's like some kind. It might be bourbon to keep I you think warm. It's bourbon, right? It's to warm stuff. you up. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or, uh, you know, Matt Watson and I have created a fictional founders club that we call tears and beers. It's a, it's a no judgment mm-hmm. kind of place where founders and entrepreneurs can, you can either show up and get drunk or you can cry or you can do both. So, but you know, like First I mentioned, business, yeah, business <laughs> owners and leaders are, are really in the business of, of trying to solve problems and trying to lead things forward. And, and now here's the thing it's like I said, if you really want to lead your company, sell more, figure out how to sell more, figure out how to grow that revenue and figure out how to do it in a hurry. Cause there's nothing, really nothing else that will get attention of, well, you either become self-sufficient or you have a strong enough signal flare over your business that people, the investors see where you're at and they want to put money into it. So, you know, it's, it, and I, I just see so many people wait and wait and wait. And I'm like, you're not in the business of building the product. You're in the business of selling the product because if you don't lead to sales, you will lead to bankruptcy. Right. So when it comes to, when you're, when you're talking about leadership for this kind of company is, is that, um, you know, in a SaaS company, just like any other tech company, you've got the engineer, right. Who's probably the CTO. And engineers have a tendency, which is great um, um, in terms of quality, right? Always building. It's never done. There's always something more to be done. And when you ask them what it does, I've I've found this to to be the case is engineers make terrible salespeople for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is is because they always see what they want to do next. They're always completely dissatisfied, almost dismissive of the product that's actually on the shelf for sale because they'd rather talk about all the cool stuff they're working on. And selling B2B, um, certainly technology, I've spent a lot of time going to sales calls with that kind of engineer. And they're wonderful when it comes to demos and, and impressing them with our technical prowess. But when they spend all their time talking, you have to worry about them not spending all of their time talking about what's coming next instead of what they can do for this customer today. Um, it's hard. Um but uh, you know, I've, I've got I've got a leadership tip I want to tack on to that okay. quick. Yeah. I want to say avo- avoid gold plating. Yes. Uh, so gold gold plating is is a term. It's like what what Jeff's talking about is is uh, okay. So and I have a joke that goes with it. How many lead software engineers does it take to build anything? At least ten. It takes one to actually build it, and nine to say, "Well, I could have done that better." And that joke applies to a lot of different industries. Lead guitarists uh, are a good one and bands and a whole lot of other stuff. But the, the whole, the point is, is, you know, if you stop to gold plate, everything that you build and make, you're going to end up with a bunch of shit that's gold plated that no one wants. And, you know, especially in the early stages, it's important that I'm not, I'm never concerned about the elegance of anything. I'm, I, does it work? So, Matt, I, mean, I think that's one of the genius parts of the MVP concept. Yeah. So a minimum viable product, which differentiates, it's different than a beta. A beta kind of product is a product that does a bunch of things and a lot of them don't work very well. The goal of the MVP is to do only a couple of things, but all those things work. 
just a very limited yeah. thing. And uh, the Eric Ries book um, that talks about this, you know, uses the example um, of Zappos back in the early days of the internet. Um, they were wondering whether or not they could sell shoes on the internet, you know, because people are used to going to the store and trying them on. And so their MVP was they set up a small commerce page. And if somebody bought a pair of shoes, the owner would, you know, the company founder would drive to the shoe store, buy those shoes and, and mail them to them. Right. So no infrastructure at all, certainly no gold plating, but it was really just to find out that that MVP was to find out what that one thing, but people buy shoes on the internet because nobody was now clearly they do now. And so, um, the, the leadership comes in and understanding the market is to be able to identify what you would consider gold plating versus what's a critical feature to capture a new segment of the market. Right. Yeah. Well, gold plate, gold plating is expensive and it also is a bad habit to get into because, you know, like, I, I mean, it, it, it depends on where you're at. Now, if you're in the business of gold plating, then sure it's a great thing. But mm -hmm. now we talk about, you know, boldly leading I'm, you know, as the CEO of full scale, I was our first salesperson as well. And, you know, you, there's someone out there listening that's going, man, they're talking about boldly leading a SaaS company, but now they're talking about sales. But here's the, once again, without sales, nothing else, until a business sells something, nothing else occurs. There's right? no way so, that you can lead in the first, say, million dollars of annual recurring revenue. There's no way you can lead efficiently, effectively, if you're not also selling because you don't have close enough um um, pulse of what the customers are saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so, and I, I actually use the pulse statement a lot as, as CEOs and leaders need, you need to keep your finger on the pulse of business and what customers are saying, what they're asking for, you know, for me that, at, at, so at, at full scale, we're, our, our product is, is people and the output that we create. And I have to, I have to keep my finger on the pulse of the business because I have to know what's coming a year from now. And thinking about that, like you just look at little tech trends. Like when we started full scale, I'll give you an example. Everyone was asking for Angular front end developers. And now we never hear that. And I noticed this huge trend where uh, people were switching to React. And I said, man, we got, so, so not only did we have to go search for people that were doing it, we also created internal training programs and different things that begin to educate our existing employees. Because one of the things at FullScale that we'll run into is someone might work for a client or a team for a year, and then that project ends or something, and then all of a sudden they're in, tran they're in transit. And we favor the long-term placement over just a placement. So sometimes we use these little gaps now, and I'm getting super technical here, but if you're really good at JavaScript, you'll figure out all the different flavors of it and learn how to do it, but maybe you just need a little practice. So, you know, and I, we're currently doing the same thing with different types of data. I mean, just machine learning, um, data analytics, predictive analysis. Like, so we create these little projects that we own that benefit us or like, you know, we build our own company management system using excess capacity of people that were That's in really transit. Smart. Because what you're doing yeah, is you're investing in the people and hopefully that results yes. in better tenure. Well, and, also keep, and also keeping them busy too, because like right. no one wants to sit there and twiddle their thumbs all day. So, right. so with that, you know, we shape the things we built or the tools we made or the stuff we did 
to also use the technology that everyone was that was trending towards. So, and that's and you know our office is in the Philippines. So it, whether you know this or not, folks, there's different parts of the world have a tendency to have massive uh, uh, directional motivation towards different types of tech. Like there's parts of the world where the PHP developer is everywhere, and you can't find a .NET developer, and then you go to you know, Western Europe or Eastern Europe and they're everywhere and not the other way around. So there's a lot of that, but you got to, you know, as, as a leader, you have to almost <laughs> have that licked finger and holding it up in the air to see which way the wind is blowing. Cause it, it cause it, well, if it passes you and it will catching up is hard. It takes time. So Matt, just, I know this is a little bit in the weeds, but you, you mentioned about, um, um, angular to, React. What are you seeing now for front end? It's still React, man. Like everybody, it's all React, 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 and that's what everyone wants, and that's what everyone's asking for. And and the reason that that understanding the directional nature of that is uh, market inefficiency. There's like too many buyers and not enough sellers in that regard. So mm -hmm. it creates these really like lopsided uh you know weird uh, uh supply and demand problems and we already have that with tech providers like in the united sure. states there's about four hundred thousand open it jobs right now which is part of why our company grows so, grew so fast so but if you and so part of that leadership too with your SaaS company is i believe finding well okay so I, I see a lot of people that have started a business and they, they call us up and they say, okay, I got a SaaS platform and it's built with something weird. And I say weird like that, like the 27th most popular programming platform on GitHub. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you're like, why did you choose that? And they're like, well, you know, my neighbor, he's a software engineer. He told me this is really where it's going. I'm like, uh, and they're like, well, what do you think about that? And I'm like, I think it was a terrible decision. And I really will. I'll tell someone that I'm known for my candor and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't fuck it. But the people that I talk to appreciate that. And it's like, what, I said, you might want to reconsider this because you're never going to find people to work on this. You're going to spend as much time finding people to work on this strange thing you've built that no one has any experience with and no one understands besides the one person that built it. Right. It's not scalable. You know, and so, you know, some of that is like, and that's the same thing. Like, so everyone built SaaS products and they did a whole lot of backend stuff. And now everyone wants to make them shiny and polished. So the front end developer and the demands for that, I mean, people, and it's funny too, because people ask the silliest questions because technically a senior developer should have a minimum of at least five years of experience, probably more like seven. People will be like, I'm looking for a senior React developer. I'm like, cool, I will give you Zuckerberg's phone number because he's the only one right and they're like what do you mean i'm like it's only been out for it's been out for six years and no one even used it until two and a half years ago so there are no senior people to do that so you know it's just like weird expectations and things that so i think part of leading and and you know we did get in the weeds there but that's okay we're talking about SaaS. we can do that right so in, in this regard but it's understanding like okay so it's one thing when you have a five-person company but now you grow and now all of a sudden you need two large. I, I, I talked to big companies that have painted themselves in the corner with this. They get like, they, oh, well, we've got a, a $200 million round 
And now we can't find anybody to work on this thing because we have 30 people, but God, it took us six years to find them. And, and we are overpaying them just to make sure they don't go somewhere else. Right. And that's another thing too. It's like, you can't create experience. Like you can create experience over time, but you can't just like, you can't make more senior anything's because there's, there's only so many in the bucket until the next year rolls around and there's some more. Right. And that, that's a problem with tech companies. And, and so, but that's one of the things that's, I think, forced us to create a pretty good, um, have to create a good experience because it's a, it's a seller's market for software engineers, clearly. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so creating, and it's not just, you know, the, the stereotypical, um, gourmet meals and, and, you know, foosball tables and, and beanbag chairs, um, that people talk about, but it's really working hard to craft an environment that people will enjoy working in that can do their best work. And well, they have to be challenged. They have to be challenged. And right. one thing we've learned with, with hiring, and once again, I've hired hundreds of software mm -hmm. engineers. And that's a business I'm in. And, you know, we, we go for the top 10%. So we're not the cheapest, but we're the best. And mm -hmm. uh, the thing that I've learned is it's not, it's not a, with, with that type of employee, they want to be, they want to do interesting things. They want to be challenged. They want to feel like they're moving forward. They like to do cutting edge stuff. They want, like I said, they really want to be challenged and build cool stuff. The thing you're never going to get is a guy with, or a gal with 10 years of experience. And you're like, Hey, you're going to build WordPress landing pages all day. Now that right. person's going to quit and right. if they even take the job. So, yeah. um, and I, I think the same thing goes for all your employees. I think that people in general are, um, are best, you know, we want to be challenged. We want to do interesting things with other interesting people for interesting companies that are preferably doing things that matter. Right. Right. And, and, um, you know, we have to be careful to, um, not stray to the side of the, the sort of the dark or negative side of some of these um, tech companies, right? Like Uber and others who have, who developed their reputation for not being good places to work. But our belief at Real Quantum absolutely is two things. One of them is to create an environment that people genuinely enjoy working for all the reasons you mentioned, and not just the engineers, but everybody, because it, it, it forces everybody to make sure if they weren't predisposed to it already, because you have to do that to keep the talent. And, the, and then, you know, you build from there. So um, the other thing that we've done, which I think is, is unique um, to a certain extent, right? One of the ways that we've solved the talent gap is we've looked for opportunities to bring people in who would not have normally been in the company. So here in Kansas city, um, there's, uh, one of those, uh, boot camps called launch code. Mm -hmm. and we've recruited several people out of that. We know that, we know that, um, lots of people go in with aspirations cause they see the money or whatever to go, I'm going to go to launch code. And I'm going to go for a couple of months and then I'm going to be a hundred thousand dollar a year developer. And I was like, doesn't work that way. Probably not. Probably so some not. small yeah. percentage of them make it through and we've, cultivated relationships with them. We've, we've tried to do some work with them and, and support them as in the process, we've been able to hire um, several people who would have most likely been passed by, passed by, by the quote unquote, normal tech firms and certainly the large ones here in, in the Metro. 
And um, one of the guys on my team who um, he's now our chief data and security officer was responsible for HR and recruiting for a long time because we're a startup and we wear lots of hats. And he coined the term that I love. And it's that we love to find people who are one break short of awesome. And that's what we've done with those. And, um, and they've, we've, we've found QA, found uh, fledgling developers, customer uh, success team members. And um, it feels like a little bit more maintenance on the upfront side to get these individuals coming in because they're, they're to a large extent, they're an empty vessel. Right. They, they need to learn a lot. But on the other hand, they're also really energized about being in this cool new industry. And we, a um, couple of them have already moved on to do other things. And we feel not only have we gotten our money's worth, but we've actually advanced the community. So we've increased the population of technical technology employees in the marketplace to fill a couple of those 400,000 openings. And so we, we can do it both for ourselves and. And we're back after a short technical delay. And I got to tell you what, that's the third time that's happened to me this week. And for those of you at Restream.io, you're about to lose my business. Um, sorry, <laughs> had, to, had to vent a little there. I have had a problem with Restream kicking me in and out of this platform all week. And oh, I don't appreciate it. No, it's, it's annoying because, you know, it just is. Um, I got to tell you what it's, uh, uh, so now we were talking about, we were talking about, you know, the culture and the growth mm -hmm. of employees. And I think that that's a good place for us to, to begin to, to come to a conclusion on yet another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. That's part of what we were talking about now. You know, at full scale, we rarely have people leave. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. It's it's a really simple formula. One, I pay you more than the market does. Mm -hmm. um, so that that part of it doesn't hurt. And, you know, we're really specific, like we alluded to earlier about who we work with. I think that one of the, the crown jewel measuring sticks of a business or even an individual uh, with your personal brand is the ability to decide who you're going to work with. Uh, Cause not all clients and customers are good. And uh, for us, we, you know, our, our company and our employees have a belief in our leadership that we'll do things to put the company in a good place. Now, you know, 2020 was a, as a huge test of this for business leaders in general, where we had to make a lot of tough decisions, you know, like, hey, we bounce back. We're actually doing more business now than we were when COVID hit. That doesn't mean there weren't some uh, there weren't some downtimes along the way. We left a lot of money on the table along the way and we're forced to make tough decisions. You know, right now I pay forty thousand dollars a month for office space that nobody uses. And, you know, there's just like a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had 200 people coming to work every day. We have two floors of a, of a high rise building in an IT park and it's vacant. And, you know, on, and, and, you know, you have to make tough decisions for the now and the later. And, and, you know, while in the market we were in, a lot of our competitors were forcing salary reductions and stuff like that. 
we ate it ourselves. Um, so I didn't make a whole lot of money last year. And you know what? I've been doing this stuff, meaning entrepreneurship and leadership for a long time. You can't complain about that unless you're going to complain about the good years where you do really well. And, um, and, and so the, here in, here in Kansas city, there's, there's, you know, some business leaders and one of which is actually a relative of mine. His name's Terry Dunn and Terry uh, and his family owned a huge construction company called JE Dunn, but it was talking to Terry once. And he you know, he said, Matt, you know, the big part about leading a big, especially a big company is you have, you have to understand the times when you have to put it all on your shoulders and bear the weight of that downward pressure but be aware enough to know that when you don't need to do that, you have to instead turn that back around and it's everyone else's victory. So I've really embraced stuff like that, like leaders eat last um, and all that. You know, if you're at our office in the Philippines, we had this big kitchen and cafeteria. We serve meals for our employees so they don't have to go out and find them uh, just so they don't have to go out and get them. Uh, but I, I eat last, you know, they always want me to go first. I'm like, no, no, no. And I'll sit there for like, I'll sit there for 75 minutes and talk to everyone else until I'm positive. No one else is left in line. And as a leader, I think that that's important. You have to begin to, if you lose the faith of the people that are in you, that, that are in your business, it's over. And, you know, I had done a lot of, uh, I had made a lot of deposits before, you know, personal and leadership type deposits, doing things to instill belief and faith in what we were doing and the people that worked there. So when 2020 came around and all of a sudden I'm like, hey, look, this shit's crazy, everyone. And I can't tell you what's going to happen in a couple months, but we've always done the right thing. We'll continue to do the right thing. Sit tight, relax as much as you can. And just let's just let's keep doing what we do. Because we can't control a virus, we can't control the government, we can't control market conditions and a lot of other stuff. What we can control is our attitude, our ability, and our our sense of team and unity. Right, right. It sounds like, uh, Matt, you've got a great mentor in, in Terry Dunn. Yeah, I've been fortunate to grow up ar- around around Terry and Peggy. That's, uh, you know, and his wife's the mayor of the city that I live in. Right. Um, you know, so yeah, that's been, that's been fortunate. The, um, the, the need to eat last. Yeah. In, in, in so many ways. Um, I absolutely agree with that. Um, also there's a couple of things. There's no job that, um, I would ask anybody else to do that. I wouldn't do myself. True. There's no time when I would be willing. I had to find out early in my career that I couldn't work the longest of everybody in my team because I would never sleep, especially in it. But there's no no time that I'd ask somebody uh, to stay up and do an all nighter that I wouldn't do the same. And um, related to what you said before, I've always felt that, and I've, I, my team deserves to hear this again soon. I haven't said it for a while. If we screw up, it's my fault. If we succeed, it's your fault. Yeah, and they, well, and and you know the whole the whole concept of extreme ownership calls for leaders to understand that there's no such thing as bad teams, only bad leaders. And you know, I and I I do that a lot in our own company because sometimes you know we'll fail at certain things, and it, you know, as leaders and managers, sometimes you want to blame the downstream. And while that can be okay, maybe like 
for brief moments in time, really in the end, it has to quickly matriculate back upstream and you have to start saying, okay, is this my fault? Cause right. it, you know, we're continually not getting where we want to be or right. doing what we want to do. And it's, you know, it, it, look, it's only, it's, it's only not your fault. Well, it's probably your fault. Right. There, there are only the only problems in business are leadership problems. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they really are. And that's, you know, and it, it now, leaders and, and founders and entrepreneurs were often ego driven. And, you know, in my book, Balance Me, it says in the in the intro, not even on the first page, if you're not willing to admit that you're likely your own biggest problem, just put the book back, because I'm not going to be able to help you and you're not going to like the book. So do us both a favor and put it back. But yeah. that's really in, in the end. And I think that, you know, we can we can we can end on that note. Now I say end on that note, I end my episodes of Startup Hustle. I say my episodes because I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Make sure you tune in for Andrew Morgan's episodes about e-commerce or Lauren Conaway's Innovate Her Hour here on Startup Hustle. While you're out on the internet, did you hear that we started a TV show? Because we did. And it starts, it's live February 1st. It will be live by the time this episode comes out. So if you're still listening, come on over to YouTube, learn more about the real story of entrepreneurship, much like the Startup Hustle podcast. We aren't going to sugarcoat it, people. We're going to talk to you about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, I end my episodes with the Founders Freestyle, where I give my guests an opportunity to offer advice to founders, share an experience as a founder, or maybe just make your closing statements and arguments for today's episode. So Jeff, I hand you thy microphone. Thank you, Matt. Really appreciated the time to talk with you today and um, love what you're doing. I look forward to listening to more and catching the uh, Startup Hustle TV. And I'm still waiting for that boop bourbon unicorn. Yeah. Is, is that, is that your, are those your closing statements? <laughs> I think that that's fair. So um, yeah, you know, overall, I think when it comes to, to some of the things we talked about today and, you know, they were they were at times sales centric, um, but I think sales is a big part of leadership when it comes to a B2B company, because, you know, like I've said so many times, and I certainly didn't invent the phrase sales cures ales. It does. It does. Some more stuff. And you find that uh, many of the problems and issues that are nagging and keeping you up at night, they melt away. Um, I, I, I've said in the past money as a soft pillow, meaning it can help you sleep at night and it can help you ignore, uh, some things that might demand immediate attention without it. And if you're trying to build something that's bigger than you, you need the sales, you need the revenue, you also need the people. So it's, right. a, it's an interesting balance and much like the mythical cupcake unicorn we talked about you can actually achieve the things that we talked about. And by the way, if you do have a cupcake unicorn, we want to know all about that too. So go to startuphustle.xyz and fill out the form to be a guest. Make sure to put in the notes that you know all about the cupcake unicorn. And I'll at least know that you listened to this episode. So Jeff, I got to get out of here. So I'll see you next time. Thank you, Matt. Have a good day. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.